0: So if you want to turn with me uh, to the the back of your service sheet, you'll see some verses there from John chapter 9. If you're new with us, again, just like to welcome you here. Um, This is the first Sunday in November, and as we've been doing for a few months now, the first Sunday of the month is Food Sunday. So we actually gather together an hour early, at half past four. We have some food. Uh, We just enjoy each other's company. So if you uh, are new with us, we'd love you to come back next Whatever date that is, the first Sunday in December, we'll do Food Sunday again, and a great opportunity for you to come and get some free food, um, which is always a bonus, and just get to know us a little better. Anyway, uh, for Food Sunday, we've been, we've been taking time out of our main series that we've been working through as a church, and we've been going through uh, the Gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, talks about Jesus a lot, and we've been looking at various people's encounters with Jesus And so today is no different. We're going to look at a very interesting encounter and ask what it means for us. So let's read together um, those verses on the back of your sheet. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming, where no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. We're gonna look at the entire chapter, but what you've just had there is the the headline. It's the main event. It's the thing that the rest of the chapter spends explaining. Um, if you can think about it in, in maybe sporting terms, what we've just read is, is like the game, it's like the match. And then the rest of the chapter is like the, the phone-in, you know, that happens after. It often goes on longer than the match itself, where, where people phone in and share their opinions and discuss uh, their reaction to the game. And so that's kind of uh, the way that this little talk is going gonna, is gonna to unfold this evening. We've just read very briefly about a life-changing encounter that one man had with Jesus. Every encounter that people have with Jesus will always be life-changing. If you think you know Jesus and he hasn't changed your life, then the chances are you haven't encountered him truly. You Maybe have heard about him and, and think you know about him, but unless he's transformed your life, you haven't had an encounter with Jesus. And so we, we read that this man who had this encounter was a blind man. He was actually blind, not by an accident or some disease, he was actually blind from birth. Never seen a thing in his life. And as such, many people in that contemporary society considered him to be somehow cursed or unfortunate or he must have done something to deserve it. And you can see when, when he, Jesus and his disciples walked past this man, his disciples asked, who sinned, Rabbi? That is Jesus this man or his parents, that he was born blind. That was their general understanding of, of, of disease and disability in that particular society. But Jesus said, in verse 3, neither. This man isn't blind because of something bad he's done or something bad that his parents have done in a, or in a previous life or whatever. This man is blind in this situation so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What he's saying is, I'm going to do something amazing, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. And so it says in verse 6, Jesus, having said these things, spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And when he'd done that, he said, go wash yourself in this pool of Siloam. And the man obeyed, he did what he was told, and it says he came back seeing. Jesus, in this encounter, brought light to the darkness. He brought life from the dust. Before we think about what that means, do you notice for a moment the the tenderness that Jesus uses to treat this man? The care and the concern that he he uses. He doesn't consider this, this blind man as some sort of worthless sinner... He doesn't consider him to be someone that you treat with revulsion or you just walk past. No, Jesus saw this man and he treated him with dignity and love. How do we know this? Because as as we see in other parts of the Bible, Jesus could have simply uttered a word and the man would have been healed. But in this case, he performed an act. He made mud from the dust. Most scholars think the reason he did this was so that the blind man who had never seen a thing in his life could feel Jesus working in him. He could feel the mud being applied to his eyes. He could experience the encounter with Jesus, the healing of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Jesus treated him with such tenderness and care. And it says he obeyed Jesus when he was told to go and bathe he trusted Jesus, and he came back restored. There was life in those dead eyes. We're going to come back to that man a little later on. But uh, the rest of this chapter then sort of revolves around this central story, if you like. And what we're going to see as we go through, and I'm going to read you bits. I know you don't have it on your sheet. I'm going to read you bits. Um, is three reasons why people reject Christianity. Three reasons people reject Christianity. Because you have this amazing act, this amazing miracle, and yet such a varied response to what Jesus has done. Three reasons why people reject Christianity. The first one, number one, is scepticism. I'll tell you them all actually up front. Scepticism, number two, self-righteousness. And number three, fear or scared. Skepticism, self-righteousness, or scared. So, first reason that we see people rejecting Jesus, no matter what he does, what he says, is because they're skeptical. Let me read to you verses 8 and 9. You haven't got them on your sheet, but it says this. The neighbours and those who had seen him before, that is the blind man, uh, were saying, is this not the man that used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no. But he is just like him, but the man himself kept saying, no, I am that man. See, the first group of people that respond to this miracle are a bunch of sceptics. Neighbours, people who sort of saw him before, associates, contacts, if you like. And their response is not, oh my goodness, amazing, look at this amazing miracle. This, this blind guy can now see. Light has come from his dark eyes. No. Some of them doubted. I, no, no, I don't think that was the guy. He, he looks like him, but there's no way this man can now see. Surely not. I think it's a case of mistaken identity. Don't you? These are the kind of excuses that the neighbours and those who've seen him before came up with. I'm sure there must be a logical explanation as to why this man looks like the guy who used to be blind. This group of people, this group of sceptics, could not accept the obvious facts this man who used to be blind can now see. They just could not believe. They were presented with the facts, they were presented with the data, but they couldn't accept it was true. And in fact, history, particularly church history, is littered with various examples of people who attempt to explain away the central truths of the Christian faith, the central truth claims of Christianity. There are many people throughout the centuries, especially uh, from sort of this side of the Enlightenment, if you like, from the the 18th century forward to now, who say things like this, Jesus didn't really exist. Or if he did, he wasn't really the man that people thought he was. He didn't really walk on water. He was just walking along a a sandbar in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus didn't really die on the cross, some would claim he, he only sort of fainted. And that's how he came back to life a few days later. Or well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. He just rose in his disciples' hearts. They just had this sort of group delusion. They wanted Jesus to be risen. And so therefore they behaved as if that was the case. These are kind of some of the things that have been used to explain away the central truths of Christianity. And people may not use this language today but it is one of the main reasons why people reject Christianity. They think it's a bunch of hocus-pocus. They, they, they've watched a, a documentary on a Discovery Channel and, and they've made up their minds. Many people today reject the supernatural. They reject the extraordinary out of hand. If I haven't experienced it, if we can't directly observe it, then it cannot be true. That's what some people say. But just because something happens once, even if it's completely extraordinary, does not mean that it is not true, even if it's highly unusual. In fact, it's because it's highly unusual that it's such a big deal to Christians. Many people in our own society lack the information to make an informed decision about Christianity. And so many are, are happy to settle with a bunch of assertions without seriously looking at the claims of Jesus. Let me just be clear, it is completely valid to choose not to be a Christian, to choose not to follow the Christian faith, but it must be following an honest assessment of the claims that Jesus makes. I wonder if you come from a skeptical position that you hear all these truth claims being spoken about and confessed by Christians. And yet you just can't believe that they're true. And if that's you, and if you come from that kind of mindset, I wonder, have you taken the time to read through the Gospels in the, the New Testament, the Bible as a whole? Have you honestly and authentically examined the claims of Scripture? If that's you, have you you sat down with a a Christian friend and, and sincerely asked them questions about their faith? Because you have to know what you're rejecting before you reject it. So don't let some other source do your thinking for you, whether it's the Discovery Channel or YouTube or some blog that you've read. Think for yourself. At least you have to be clear about what you're rejecting before you do so. Here at Foundation Church, we, we embrace questions. We embrace uh, ideas from outside the Christian tradition. We like to talk about those things. Um, you, mentioned, uh, you, sorry, you heard me mention about life groups a bit earlier on. That's a great place to come, even if you're not certain about the faith, to come and, and meet with Christians and ask questions uh, about them and about their faith and about the Bible. We also uh, read the Bible together in community. We read uh, the community Bible reading journal the same chapter the same passage every day and sort of talk and dialogue about that so there what i'm saying is there's plenty of opportunity if you're a skeptic if you're a seeker and you want to learn more about the christian faith um, then this is the place for you to come and learn and ask questions three reasons why people reject christianity number one the skeptic they couldn't believe it was true but then there's a second group of people Um, that we've already sort of met in some of these talks in the series already um, the self-righteous let me read to you a couple more verses from john 9 verses 13 to 16 they brought to the pharisees the man who had formerly been blind now it was a sabbath day when jesus made the mud and opened his eyes so the pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight and he said to them He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. The second group of people are the self-righteous. It's not that they couldn't believe, it's that they wouldn't believe. You heard maybe um, me read there um, that Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath, the, the Jewish holy day. Why is that a problem? Why are they focusing on the fact that it was the Sabbath? Well, according to them, it seems that the making of mud into a paste, the performing of the healing miracle was deemed by these religious leaders, these Pharisees, as work. And work in all forms is illegal on the Sabbath. Now, nowhere in the Bible is this action of Jesus condemned, but later tradition was added to the law code of Moses. And so this group of Pharisees saw that what Jesus did was a contradiction, was a breaking of the law. Now, Jesus was no lawbreaker. He said in another part of the Bible, I came not to remove the law, but to complete it and to fulfill it. But these religious leaders, these Pharisees, would not accept Jesus' actions. They preferred to see him as a sinner and a lawbreaker because, let's face it, it is easier to deal with Jesus considering him to be a sinner or a bad guy rather than face the implications of what he says about himself. The Pharisees said, and we read this in verse 16, if this man is not from God, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You see, for this group who reject Jesus, this group of self-righteous people, it is not the facts that are in question, but it is the interpretation, is what they mean. So they would not believe in Jesus. They deliberately suppressed what was obvious from the data. These religious Pharisees are self-righteous. Why why is that? Why do I call them self-righteous? Why are they called self-righteous? Well, they are committed to the Jewish law, following it to the nth degree. No one in contemporary Judaism was as zealous and as committed to the law as the Pharisees. They were famous for it across the land. And their idea was to win God's favor by keeping the law. And when God saw how zealous and committed they were, how obedient they were, they thought God would visit them and bless them. God would come in power and reinstate the kingdom of Israel. And they achieved that, they thought, through law-keeping, through living moral lives, through keeping God happy. And so then enter Jesus, this popular teacher, this miracle worker. He drew the crowds. They, They were amazed at his teaching. And this Jewish rabbi, this radical teacher, starts working on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. This Jewish rabbi mixed with sinners and outcasts, Jesus did all the wrong things, according to the Pharisees. He was a profound challenge to the religious system of the Pharisees. When they saw him coming, they were deeply uncomfortable because Jesus challenged their religious system he he threatened to break it down to deconstruct it and they hated it you see these Pharisees thought they were earning a good standing before God but then here comes this man who seems to possess great power and authority and he's not part of their system and he was a threat to everything that they held true and likewise then today There are so many people in our own society that reject Jesus, not because of the facts themselves, but they reject him because they don't like the implications. Jesus challenges their carefully constructed systems, their very lives, what they build their lives upon. Jesus is seen as a threat to that, and so they reject him. By the way, this applies to people who come from traditional religious backgrounds as well as those who come from no religious background whatsoever because both types of people, in my experience, can become self-righteous just like the Pharisees. Religious people can use their religious practices to feel good about themselves and to think they earn favour with God. (coughs) Church attendance engagement with church events, charitable giving, praying, all that kind of stuff can be used to think that you're earning favour with God. But likewise, those from non-religious backgrounds can also use practices and become self-righteous. Behaviors, moral behaviour, good living, caring for the earth, certain ethical diets, what political party you vote for, what intellectual achievements you have. (coughs) These things also can be seen as a way to earn favour with God in some form or other. But both the religious and the non-religious people in our society can find ways of behaving like these self-righteous Pharisees in this story. They get their significance from their behaviour, from their performance, from their achievements. What this group of people mean is not transformational knowledge in their minds like the skeptics. This group of people need humility in their hearts. Skeptics need an open mind. The self-righteous need an open heart. Skeptics need to be informed by the gospel of Jesus. Self-righteous need to be melted by the gospel of Jesus. They need to see the facts of Jesus and have their hearts transformed by him. So we've seen the skeptics, we've seen the self-righteous, and the third and final reason, it's much shorter, the people reject Jesus is because they're scared. And we see this in the man's parents, verses 20 to 23. They bring the guy's parents into this group of Pharisees, and his parents um, said, yes, he's our son, he was born blind, verse 21, but how he sees now, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him himself. He is of age. His parents said these things, it says here, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Skeptics couldn't believe in Jesus. The self-righteous wouldn't believe in Jesus. Jesus. And those who are scared shouldn't believe in Jesus, as far as they would see it. It is not that they disagreed with the facts. They agreed with their son, this man had been healed. It's not that they disagreed with their interpretation. They knew that he had been healed by a special man, a prophet, a man of God, something like that. But what they feared was going public. It says that they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue, That's why they kept their mouths shut about the true identity of Jesus. Maybe you think to yourself, that's not such a big deal getting put out of the synagogue, like getting put out of a church. You just carry on your life, no bother at all. But in that original uh, (coughs) ancient society, so much was tied in with religion and your attendance of the synagogue. If you were thrown out of the synagogue, effectively you'd be seen by everybody within your community as an outsider. You're effectively declared as a non-Jew. You're effectively being told, you're not one of us. His parents were afraid of losing their status. They were afraid of losing face. They were afraid that if they were honest about Jesus to the world, that their reputation would become tarnished. They may lose family, they may lose friends, they may lose their social circles, their income may be threatened. And according to his parents, all of this was a price too high to pay. It was just too risky. The loss of influence was deemed too great and so they kept quiet. According to them, they shouldn't believe. And so this is the third reason people today reject Christianity. It's fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of losing social circumstances. Fear of friends turning their backs on you. Fear of losing whatever respect you have in your community. Fear of losing the right to self-determination to someone else has the right to tell you how to live and behave, fear that you might lose your reputation, whatever that may be. All of these fears prevent people from coming to Christ. Following Jesus is no walk in the park. Jesus is clear, another part <clears throat> in the Bible, he says, following me is a call to take up your cross, to die to yourself and to live for me instead. <coughs> and too many Christians or people who hear the Christian faith don't count the cost they end up walking away many years later because life gets hard when they become Christians and so for that reason many prefer to keep quiet to forget all about it the cost of following Jesus is seen as too great for these people it's not about knowledge it's not about humility what they need is courage They need to see that what you gain in Jesus far outweighs what you consider to be loss. Maybe this is like you. Maybe it is fear that is holding you back from fully following after Jesus. Fear of going public. Fear of what people might say about you. Three reasons why people reject Jesus. Skepticism, self-righteousness, and fear. So in conclusion, <clears throat> what do we say to these three types of people? Why was the blind man transformed and they were not? The story goes on and says, the later this formerly blind man who was healed met Jesus outside <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he sir that i may believe in him jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you the man said lord i believe and he worshipped him he worshipped him jesus met him and said to him it's me i am the long-awaited messiah i am the son of man And the one who received his sight said, Lord, I believe, and and worshipped him. The blind man, when all is said and done, saw something in Jesus that pointed far beyond his ability to work miracles. He realized that in Jesus, he had seen something far greater, a profoundly, deeply profound truth. He knew that the healing that he had received pointed to something far greater and far more wonderful and amazing that Jesus could do. That's why he got down and worshipped him at the end of the story. You see, for Jesus to heal the man, he bent down, he got into the dust, he made mud, and from the dust, Jesus brought life. His sight was restored. He was healed. But you see, in the Gospel, Jesus also goes down into the dust. Jesus came down from heaven and lived a sinless life. He died an unjust death and he took the sins of his people onto himself and he went down into the dust, bearing their sins. Jesus took their sin to the ground and Jesus died and was buried dust to dust. That's what we say, isn't it, at funerals, when we bury the person in the ground from dust back to dust. But in the gospel, from dust came life. Jesus rose from the dust. It says in Hebrews 6, he rose to indestructible life. That's the gospel. Jesus took your sins to the dust so that you can rise from the dust and have life with him. That's why the blind man worshipped him. Because he saw what the miracle pointed to. He saw the greater work of bringing life from the dust. And Jesus still does it today. Jesus is still in the business of bringing life from the dust. And so to us, he says today, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? Do you see what I did for you? Do you see what it means for you? You see, when we, are, when we see what Jesus has done for us, we will start to understand and accept the facts as the Bible teaches them. When we see what Jesus has done for us, it releases us from self-righteousness. Because we think if Jesus was willing to go into the dust for me, then I'm going to cling to him with all my life. I'm not going to cling to myself and my systems and my achievements and my performances. When you really see Jesus, it humbles you to know that the King of heaven came down to the dust for you. And when you see what he did, you will grow in courage. You will come to understand that nothing formed against you shall last. There will be no price too great for you to pay. Just like the old hymn, says turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace are you looking at Jesus can you see what he has done for you let's pray Father God, we thank you for the gospel that shows us that Jesus goes to the dust to bring us life. And as we look to him, may you give us knowledge of the good news that we might take it deep into our minds. As we look to him, will you give us humility when we see what he's done for us? As we look to him, will you give us courage to go public with our faith. For those of us who know you already, Lord Jesus, give us help to live these things out more strongly every day of our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. For it's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.